Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. Listen closely to this text, listener. Quote, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. End quote. That's found in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Seems the Apostle Paul knew something important about the human condition. We become like what we choose to observe. Just how far-reaching is this phenomenon? Dr. Jennings, what are your thoughts on this subject? And more importantly, how can it work against us when it comes to our desire to live a godly life? So this is a great question. When the quote you just quoted is actually describing a what I call a design law, such as laws of health, law of gravity, laws of physics. This particular law that the scripture is operating upon here is called the law of worship in psychiatry and psychology. We call this modeling, hmm. or by beholding, we become changed. And we actually neurobiologically are changed by what we spend time reading, watching, worshiping, adoring, looking up to. We are changed in the neural circuits that are activated. We're changed in the values that we assimilate and hold. We're changed in the beliefs that we come to conclude and how we view the world and the practices that we engage in. And so this is why God says, thou shalt know other gods before me. Hmm. Not because he needs our worship, but because we are changed. And as the highest created beings on planet Earth, there is nothing on planet Earth that we can worship that will advance us. Anything on planet Earth that we worship degrades us in some way. And so God, who wants us to grow to the highest pinnacles of development possible, tells us to worship him, the infinite one, because then we never stop our advancement, maturing, growing, and discerning. And this is for our good, not for his need. So that's what I think that the text is talking about. And so now we need to probably go into, well, does it matter which God person worships? Well, that's right. And you say, which God? Uh, isn't there just one God? There's, you know, there's an old saying in in Japanese, it says, you know, there's many paths up to Fuji, but when you get at the top, you look at the same sunrise. Isn't that the same thing? Aren't we all going up to the top of the same mountain and looking at the same God? So Christ said there are many false messiahs that go out into the world. Mm -hmm. um, he said they will come in the last day and say, Lord, we did all these, we prophesied in your name, performed miracles in your name. He said, get ye hence, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They're doing things in the name of Jesus, but evidently it's not the right Jesus. And so what would that mean? Baylor University a few years ago did a survey of views of God in America and found that 32% of Americans see God as authoritarian. 24% see him as distant, 23% see him as a God of love, 16% see him as critical, 75% of Americans are Christian. And so what this means is in any Christian group, there's a variety of different gods being worshipped. Some are worshipping a, uh, an authoritarian rule maker who is the source of pain and, and punishment. Some are worshipping a distant god who just created the world and has let it run on its own. Some are worshipping a benevolent, compassionate god of love that Jesus revealed, etc. And the neuroscience shows us that we are actually changed by the god we worship. Not the words we use to call him god, we're using the words Jesus, Yahweh, uh, El Shaddai, it really is the characters of the God that we're worshiping that changes us. 
Is that change when we're worshiping the true God, the God of love, is that change something that would happen to us if we were worshiping the tree of love, if we were worshiping the cloud of love? Is it actually God doing something or are we psychologically setting ourselves up to have the healing version of whatever it is we're worshiping? You know, that's a very insightful question and the data is both. The data is both. We are changed by the activities we engage in, regardless if we invite God into it or not. If you take karate lessons or piano lessons and don't invite God and you're an agnostic and don't want him in your life, but you do those piano lessons regularly, you neurobiologically will be changed, and we can even see changes in scans of people who learn how to play an instrument or et cetera, et cetera. So we can be changed by choosing to worship benevolent things like that, the tree, et cetera. But if... When we invite the true God in, then there's additional aspects and elements and powers of divinity that are healing and restorative to us. In my view, God manifests himself. It says in Romans chapter 120 that God's divine nature is seen in what he has made so that men are without excuse. And Paul says in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 12, that those who have not heard the Scripture but do by nature the things contained in the Scripture, which are the principles of love, they become a law unto themselves, showing it's been written on their heart. And what's the new covenant? Write my law on your heart. So the Bible is making the case that when we view the truth of God's character of love as in nature and we value it, appreciate it, identifying with it, then we are still being changed into godliness, even if we don't know the name Jesus or God. Okay. Describe to me what you mean by nature. Is that what we talk the natural world out there where the animals live? Yes. Okay. We're All talking right. about the, the sun. We're talking about the atmosphere. We're talking about the flowers and the pollination and, the, and the, how the plants grow and all those things. Well, that's not a very good representation of God, Dr. Jennings. These things die and kill each other out there. It depends on how you're viewing it. If you view it and you see the principles, for instance, of giving that all life is based upon, where it's the water cycle, the pollination cycle, or breathing. Or, and, in other words, you understand that only in beneficence and giving is their life, and you see that in your light and body and become a caring, compassionate individual, then those are the principles of God that are being restored into your heart. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 1 and 2. Okay, the principles of God, the principles of nature, not necessarily the demonstration of God and nature. Am I right in saying that? The big issue here is what view of God do we hold? And and the key is, do you see God as an authoritarian dictator, a person who, like a Roman Caesar, makes up rules, and then he polices his rules, so he's got his his recording angels following you through the world, like a police officer with his little ticket book, waiting for every little mistake you're going to make, and it's going to go to record in heaven, and if you forget to ask for legal pardon or forgiveness, then that recorded sin requires an imposition of a judicial punishment upon you in some way, and the minimal punishment is torture and eternal death and hell. If that's your view of God, that's harmful to you. Mm. Not only is it harmful to you, it's not consistent with Scripture. If your view of God is that we have a condition we didn't choose, born in sin, conceived in iniquity, and God through Christ has provided remedy to fix and heal all who will trust him, then we recognize God as a trustworthy being of love, and that's actually physiologically healthy for us and eternally healthy for us. But Dr. Jennings, I want God to be what God says he is because, you know, my enemies, they make my life miserable and I can't get back at him, but God can. And boy, can he get back at him in a big way. So why should I think that God is a God of love when I want my enemies to suffer? This question, it's a great question. The first question people have to ask when they read Scripture is, how do I understand God's law functions? Mm -hmm. Do I believe God is creator, builder of space, 
time, energy, matter, life, his laws are the laws upon which reality works, not just the physical laws, but the moral laws, that's how reality works, uh-huh. or do I see God's law functioning no different than the types you and I, sinful human beings, make up, just a system of rules with no consequence except what I can do to you if you break my laws? Right. How do I see that? And then when you read Scripture, everything else is slanted by that view of law. Mm. And so, for instance, the Bible says, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And what kind of vengeance does God take? Well, it says in Isaiah chapter 1, it says, Therefore the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel, declares, Ah, I will get relief on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. And so his vengeance is the vengeance a doctor takes on smallpox or uh, polio, or any other disease. He is attacking the disease that's destroying the patient. He's not attacking the sick patient. His vengeance is healing, for goodness sakes. But what you described a moment ago with your question was people who view it through imperialism, and they see that that sin is actually the bad stuff, and the bad stuff has to be punished, and God can punish more than me, so I'm looking forward to a God of justice who will use his power to punish people who've done me wrong. They don't see that, in fact, that's the completely distorted Mm. view of reality. That's not how God's reality works. That the people who are doing evil or because they have infections in their hearts and minds of fear and selfishness, and God wants to free them from that same problem. And when we call ourselves Christians, we are supposed to be taking on that type of vengeance? We are supposed to be operating under those types of principles when we deal with our enemies and people who don't think or look or act like we do? Right, so loving other people. And so what happens is if you have an authoritarian God, the data shows you are more likely to abuse your children. You're more likely to beat your spouse. If you have a benevolent God, you're more likely to protect others. And so we become like the God we admire and worship. It's not just theoretical. It is consequential in the real world. And this is why so many horrible things have been done in God's name through history, because people have harbored a false dictatorial view of God who is authoritarian and punishing, and they become like that God. I look at our world today, Dr. Jennings, and I see a lot of people who are called by his name, by Christ's name, doing anything but being loving and kind and accepting and nurturing of people who they perceive to be unlike them or not following what they believe God is telling us to do. Are we seeing that type of distortion in action in the world and in newspapers every day? Every day, it's happening all over the world, both in the church and out the church. And again, the premise root how do you understand God's law? When, if you can get your mind to step back and go, wait a minute, He's the Creator. His laws are laws upon which reality work. Therefore, when you break them, the damage is inherent in the breaking. God is working to save and to heal. So, three people jump off the Empire State Building a, a Catholic, a Jew, and a Protestant. And they all jump off the empire. Gravity does not treat them differently. That's true. That's true. It is a constant. It just doesn't change. They're either in harmony with it or they're not. But we're all out of harmony because of the way we were born. And God, through Christ, is working to restore love into our hearts. I will give you a new heart and right spirit. Write my law in your heart and mind. Circumcision is a heart by the spirit, etc. It's all about regenerating us to love God and love others more than self. You not only are a psychiatrist, of course, to get there, you had to become a medical doctor. What happens to us medically inside when we change from that vindictive? Addictive image of God, and we start observing and living like the God of love that we observe? Well, what happens is we actually experience a greater neurobiological calming of our amygdala, which is our fear circuit, which calms the immune system, which decreases inflammatory cascade, which reduces the risk of diabetes, obesity, heart disease, strokes. Physiologically, we actually live longer and are healthier when we worship a God who's benevolent and compassionate. 
Oh, my. Uh, I just love the fact that not only do you identify, Dr. Jennings, not only do you identify the problem that you give the solution, and that solution is wrapped around the love of Christ. And that seems to be a theme we keep coming back to on this program. Why did Jesus come? Let's, we have 30 seconds here. Why did Jesus come? Did he come? Did it have anything to do with trying to change our vision of what God is? Well, it says in John three sixteen and 17, he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Well, that was John three seventeen, yeah. And so he came ultimately to be the solution for our problem so that we can have eternal life. Now, there's lots of ways we can discuss what was necessary for that, but the bottom line is he was God's means to fix the sin problem so that we can have eternal life. So Christ himself, God himself, identified the problem that you're talking about here on this earth. Right, and, and that problem is multifactorial. Truth sets free, so he revealed truth about God to win us to trust, and he provides a new nature. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, Second Corinthians 5.21. It was to fix what's broken in us. All right, listener, I want you to jot down a couple names of books here. The God-Shaped Brain and The God-Shaped Heart. These are two books that Dr. Jennings has written. They are available on his website, comeandreason.com. And if you like what you're hearing here, and believe me, the more you hear it, the more you'll like it, because there is peace and love and there is hope built into every word of what Dr. Jennings is saying, not only in this program, but also in his books. I urge you to find out how you can get a copy of these books. It's The God-Shaped Brain, The God-Shaped Heart. And, of course, the granddaddy of them all, his very first book, Could It Be This Simple? These are all available, and I invite you to look up how you can bring those into your library, and you can begin to enjoy this type of peace and tranquility and physical healing that comes when you understand what God is like, and we try to shape our lives to match that reality. That's at comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings, as always, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing these words of wisdom and guidance. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>